0: Um, welcome to the year where we're going to get a little more uncomfortable about stuff like that, so we're, we're going to have some fun. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today, and we're going to save the offering for the end of the service because we got some things that we want to fill you in on. Um, but I just want to know, are you guys ready for the year? Because some of you still look a little sleepy. I, but, but here's what I'm proud of today. It's 9.30, and there's more of you here. So the resolution, you did it today. Getting to church, give yourselves a hand. You did it. Most of you know that when uh, Carrie and I, when our kids turn 10 years old, we plan a special trip for them, just just that child and us, and, and we take them away for just a few days to kind of pour into them, it, it, to create a moment that's fun, that's meaningful, and in that process, when we do these 10-year-old trips, we invite kind of their tribe around them, their family, the people that are really mentoring them, that are pouring into them, to each write that child a letter. And over the course of the time that we spend away, they open the letters. And and I got to tell you, you you need to get a little bit of the lead up to this trip that we just took with our youngest, Isabella. With with Malia and Presley, our first two, we took them to New York City. Malia, we surprised her. Presley said, I want to go to New York City. Take me to New York City when I turn 10. And we we created that. So um, with Isabella, and maybe it's this way in your family, she's the youngest. She's kind of the X factor, right? Like So when we ask her, hey, like, what do you want to do for your 10-year-old trip? What her answer was, legitimately, she goes, "'I want to go to the moon or the jungle.'" So we said, not New York. And she said, no, the moon or the jungle. So we decided on Florida. So we ended up, we didn't tell her a thing. The day after Christmas, because Florida to me feels like the moon. Um, The day after Christmas, we we packed things up. We threw her in a car. We headed to D.C. And she thought that's where we were landing for her birthday trip. And so we spent Thursday evening in D.C. Friday, we wake up. We woke her up. We're like, hey, we got to go to the airport. They're kicking us out of the hotel. We're going to Florida. And she was like, that's amazing. So we ended up for a, a few days at Universal Studios. Now, I need to tell you a couple things about the stage of life that I find myself in I, I think and maybe it's been this way for a while but I'm just doing more self-reflection because it's we're in a new decade it's 2020 right like it's the time of year that you do that and I'm turning 40 this year this is my my year for 30. so skip control of yourself right how old are you uh-huh. Okay, so but I but I think as this is all happening I think I'm actually walking this line and it's kind of like it's kind of like driving in one of those states where you kind of drift between two time zones. You know what I mean? Like you can be in Kentucky, but you can either be in Eastern time or Central Time. So I feel like that's where I am. Like I'm right on the edge of middle age and still feeling young. That's that's kind of where I feel like I am. Like there are days I still feel great. I wake up, I feel like I'm 20, I go for a long run, it's all good, and I show up to you. Universal Studios. I hop on a roller coaster. It's awesome, right? How, how many of you, are still up for a good roller coaster? Like, that's, that's where you are. Okay, but here's the thing. After a day and a half at these amusement parks, I wasn't in Kentucky anymore. Like, I was not there. This trip put me well out of Kentucky and clear over in Illinois. Like, central time zone was not a question. That's where I was. I didn't feel young at all. Like, in fact, I I think somewhere waiting in line for 85 minutes at Dudley Do-Right's Ripsaw Falls and paying $15 for a churro, I found what hell looks like in middle age. (laughs) Like, I found that along that way, and I was all in. Like, I was like, okay, this just, I'm old, let's let's go with this. Now, I will say this, and, and in all honesty. In spite of my, land, my, my landing in middle-aged waters last week, complete with sore back, aching feet, grumpiness, all that. Like, in spite of all that, I loved every minute of that trip with Carrie and with Isabella. I loved watching her excitement. I loved seeing her exhausted at the end of the day. I loved seeing her respond to those letters. Like, all that was, was beautiful. And, and you know what else I saw in those moments? And, and this is the critical part for us today. Isabella didn't pay any attention to how tired I was. She had no concern about how exhausted I was. Her approach to me, her approach to Carrie did not change. And you know why? Because her relationship to us as her parents determines how she approaches us. That's what it lays out. We're starting a brand new series today. We're starting a new year with a six-week conversation about prayer. But, but not just about prayer. About this simple prayer that Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray. And I want you to get several things along this, this journey. I want you to understand, though, today, there's one principle that I want you to grab, and I just shared it with you. See, here's the reality. This is the thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, put it in your phone, whatever. Our relationship to God will determine our approach to prayer. The way our relationship with God is seen by us, is experienced by us, is forged by God's Spirit will determine how we approach God in prayer. Now, before I dig into that, let me me pause and tell you why we're doing this series. Okay, number one, I'm just, this is confession time. I have not shepherded well our church in the area of prayer. That's not something I have done well. It's a struggle for me. Most of you know that. I've been growing in that. Part of, part of the past year has been growing and listening and trying to just practice that more and more. And here's what I find. Many of you, you're on your New Year's resolutions kick. You're eating better, aren't you? Or at least you did for like an hour. Like you're, you're trying that, right? Here's what you'll find as you start to eat better. You will crave more of the good stuff. Some of you are like, no, I don't. Give it six weeks. Okay, that's why you haven't gotten there, okay? But if you start to start to really practice that, you start to hunger for more of the good stuff. And I believe that if we can shepherd each other as the church, because I'm not the only one here called to be pastoral, you get that calling too, that we can grow in our prayer. And so I want to say I haven't done that well, but here's the second thing, and this is maybe more important. We cannot, listen, don't miss this. As new community, we cannot be the church God has called us to be without prayer being a natural part of our life together. We will not exist as the fullness of the church God has dreamed about for us if we don't learn what it means to be a people of prayer together. So we're going to start with the basics. I want to ask this question, and I want to survey the room. This is, this is honest confession time. How many of you would feel really uncomfortable, and I'm not going to do this. Don't worry. How many of you would feel really uncomfortable if I said, would you come close us in prayer today? Just show of hands, survey. This is confession time. Look around the room. Just, just keep your hands up for a minute. This is not no shame, right? This is okay. How many of you would not be okay getting up and doing that? Many of us. No, no judgment. No need to feel awkward. See, I think some of our shame, some of our awkwardness is what keeps us from this experience. So when we're in these groups and we sit, and some of you don't come to small groups for this very reason, you're scared that someone's going to ask you to pray out loud or to say something about the Bible. And I say, will you pray? And all eyes go, (laughs) I'm already praying in my head. But I want to name this fact for us, and I don't want you to hear this just as my opinion. I want you to hear this biblically. See, we are called as the church biblically to be a people that pray together. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. I'll just put it on the screen. We we will get into the, the heart of the scripture later. But here's what it says. God says this. This is God's word, not Pastor Justin's word, okay? If my people, circle if, underline if, highlight if, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and, watch this, will heal their land. How many of you know our our land needs healed? But did you see that if? If they will do this, if they will seek me. Then Acts 2, you can see this in the early church. It says, this is how they described the early church, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Many of you do that. You show up here. We teach. We, we engage the scriptures. They did that. And to fellowship. Many of you love to fellowship. You came for the breakfast this morning. You hang out. If there's a party, you're going to be there. To the breaking of bread. I love to eat, right? We like this part of being church. And to prayer, It says, these are the things they devoted themselves. Then it says, because of that, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. See, here's what I want you to grab as we jump into this series. Prayer is part of what it means to do life together as a church. Can I just name something that you need to hear? I'm not going to say this is not a secret part of the message. That means that when we gather, you actually become and grow and get comfortable with praying out loud together. That's what it means. Now, let me tell you how I think we struggle with this so much. It goes back to Universal Studios, okay? It goes back to what I saw in my daughter this week. I told you, her relationship to me as her father determined how she approached me. She didn't stop asking me to feed her meals in Florida because she felt like I was running out of money. I was. But she didn't stop being hungry, she didn't look around and say, well, all these people are bothering my daddy because they carry their cell phones like aliens obsessed with something and they stop in the middle of the road when you're trying to, they, she didn't say that and say, she didn't say, well, all these people are annoying, so I'm not going to burden my father anymore. <laughs> she didn't say, well, I can't talk to my dad because I'm only in fourth grade and I don't have all the language that well, the, the well-trained adults do to talk to him. He's a doctor. I haven't even been to college yet, so I should just hold back. Maybe somebody else could talk to him for me. She didn't say that. She didn't do any of that because she knows I'm her daddy and I want to hear from her. I want to listen to her. I want to spend time with her. I want to know about her life. You see, so many of us are failing to grow in our prayer life. And by the way, when I say you're failing, we're failing. It's not performance-based. It's not one more spiritual checkbox to work on. It's actually a way of life. So many of us, by neglecting prayer, watch, here's what we do. This is is how you need to perceive of yourself. So many of us have become children who gather regularly to talk about our Father, to study the words of our Father, to think about our Father, all while He's sitting in the room asking us to sit down with Him to really get to know Him. We're doing all the stuff that's the practice about our Father, but we're not spending time knowing our father. See, we do this as individuals, and we do this as churches. And friends, listen, as your pastor, if there's anything I've been convicted of lately, it's this. I can't let that go on any longer. We need to be praying together. We need to be a church that walks in prayer together. So as we start this series, I want to say to you, and I mean this, I don't use this word lightly. I want to repent before you to say, I need forgiveness from you in failing in this area, and I won't let it be like this anymore. We need to be the church that prays together. And we have to understand that one principle. See, our relationship to God determines our approach to prayer. So here's what we're doing. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be going step by step through Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer. I know, six weeks at the beginning of 2020 on prayer. It's super not creative, right? Most wise leaders would do a series on like, look at vision 2020. That's like a setup for a creative message about perfect vision and future. We may get there this year. But for now, here's how I want to start your year at New Community, I want us to slow down. I want us to breathe. I want us to actually inhale and say, God, what do you want to say to us? And here's the thing. I'm not going to just talk to you about prayer. We're going to practice prayer. At the end of each week's sermon, I'm just gonna give you this heads up right now. Okay, you ready? Some of you are like, why did I come? Why did I commit to coming back to church? Here's what we're gonna do. At the end of each week's sermon, we're going to spend some time praying together. We're going to pray together for more than two minutes, by the way. It's not gonna be just a transition moment between songs. It's actually gonna be prayer. I'm asking you to step out to practice this, to learn to pray, not just on your own. You can do that during the week, but also together. And you know what I'm gonna discipline myself to do in this process? I'm not going to bail you out. Can I get an amen? (laughs) No? Okay, cool. And here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. Listen, in all sincerity, I believe this. If there's silence because you're afraid to pray, I'm going to assume God wants to say something to you. I'm going to trust that the silence is okay. I'm going to trust that maybe God wants to to say, church, new community, just listen for right now. Just be silent before me. Maybe we'll learn to pray in our silence. So I want to show you this passage of scripture that we're going to highlight over the next six weeks. I'm going to unpack just the first part of it today, and then we're going to dig into it over the following weeks. So Matthew 6 is where we're going to live for the next six weeks. Matthew 6, I'm going to start with verse 5 before Jesus actually introduces the prayer that many of you know, many of you have prayed in your church background. But here's what he says in verse 5. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. True Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Jesus is saying, don't pray like those false religious leaders that do it just for show. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room. Some translations say your closet, right? Close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, some of you are like, okay, see, I'm not supposed to pray with other people. I'm supposed to go in the closet. I can do that. I pray myself to sleep in my bedroom closet every night, right? You get that. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. He's saying, set a regular time, right? Set a regular place. I would encourage you. Yes, personal prayer matters. I would encourage you over the next, this, just this week, set five minutes aside, right? Pray for five minutes. I'll give you tools on how to do that. And then over the next six weeks, each week, add five minutes. You know what you would be doing by the end of six weeks? 30 minutes of prayer. Can you imagine? Just grow in that. And then he says this in verse 7, because this is where I'm going to unhinge all of your arguments that we just pray privately, right? When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this is a little confusing because Jesus says, don't keep on babbling. But we also see Jesus later in the Gospels praying all night. I don't know what you talk about all night, I can hardly stay awake for an hour at night, right? Like that's, what do we do? Which is correct. See, I think it's easy for us to assume as followers of Christ that a long prayer equals a good prayer. Some of you, this is how crazy we are in our American Western society. We sit and we pray with people. Oh, I could never pray like him. And do you think God's up there going, well, yeah, I know. You stink. (laughs) No, he's not. But we think that a long prayer equals a good prayer, a short prayer equals a bad Jesus says it's the meaning that counts. And he's actually, what he's actually doing, this is what's so cool to me about this passage. He's actually criticizing the way pagans, non-religious people, would pray to their false gods. And by the way, their false gods were their politicians, their emperors, their Caesars. Galerius. Let me give you one example. This was a, a, an emperor in the 4th century Rome. He wrote this about himself. Now, this is how he introduces a decree that he's going to make politically. I, I could see this happening today, by the way. The emperor Caesar, Galerius, Valerius, Maximianus Invictus, Augustus, Pontifex, Maximus, Germanicus, Maximus, Egypticus. Ma- These are all names for himself, by the way. Phoebicus Maximus, Sarmenticus, Maximus, which is mentioned five times. Persicus Maximus two times, Carpicus Maximus six times, Aminicus Maximus, Medicus Maximus, Abendicus Maximus, holder of tribunal authority for the 20th time, emperor for the 19th, consul for the 8th, pater patriae proconsul. This is how Caesar understood himself and expected to be addressed. When Jesus says, don't keep on babbling like the pagan, this is what he's talking about, right? Ecclesiastes 5 says, don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. If you don't know what to say to God, welcome. You're a step up on the religious people who think they do. We are drowning in words today, aren't we? You know, we see more probably more than 10,000 ads a day. We hear more than 10,000 ads a day. We're surrounded. See, I think we need less words, more listening, more reflection. And as Jesus starts to introduce prayer to his followers, he's shifting the nature, the very nature, watch, of Jewish prayer. His followers were Jewish believers, and the Jews prayed at least three times per day. They had, listen, they had, and they still use this today, 18 different prayers that they called the tefillah. It's still in use today in the synagogue. And when Jesus starts to introduce the Lord's Prayer, there are similarities, but there are also things that he's subverting and changing. And here's what he says. This then is how you should pray. Look at verse nine of Matthew six. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's our heartbeat for the next six weeks. We're going to go phrase by phrase. Today, I'm going to talk to you about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next week, we'll do your kingdom come, your will be done, and so on and so on, phrase by phrase. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Now, what I want to do today, I want to give you the reasons why we pray to God as Father. I wanna to talk to you about why this matters. And my hope is that this conversation invites you into your relationship with God, maybe in a different, an expanded, a deeper understanding than you've maybe even felt in the past as you've approached prayer. Here's the first reason I believe we pray to God as our Father. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to intimacy. Now, maybe you've heard this, right? The word that Jesus uses for Father, anybody know the word? Just shout it out. It's Abba, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to just tell you it's a Jewish word for daddy or, or, or papa. It is that. But you need to see why this matters. You see, the Jewish people spoke a language that was called Hebrew. It, it was their language. It was their sacred language. And the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures are written in Hebrew because it's the story of the Jewish people. But something happened to the Jewish people in the days of Jesus. They, they lived under captivity under the authority of the Roman Empire, the Greco-Roman world. And actually for the Jews, the Romans weren't the first to have captured them. They had actually existed for hundreds of years as a people bounced around under the authority of other empires, other groups, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and the Romans. They had all held authority over God's people. And in that process, the languages of multiple cultures had blended together in one unified language that they called Aramaic. So while most of the Greco-Roman world was speaking Greek at this point, and the majority of the New Testament is actually written in Greek, Jesus uses the word, by the way, New Testament was Greek, Old Testament was Hebrew, neither of them were King James. Some of you just need to hear that sermon today. But when Jesus uses the word Abba, he actually uses an Aramaic word. It's not a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. Jesus tells his followers, he says this, don't pray in the sacred Hebrew language and not in the language of your oppressors. Pray in the common language. Use the common phrase to address God. See, don't miss this. Our Early Jews would have prayed their 18 daily prayers, their tefillah, in the sacred language of Hebrew. How many of you know this? Religions are really good at creating sacred languages. See, Muslims still recite their prayers in traditional Arabic. The Catholic Church, do you you know they practice worship entirely in Latin uh, until the 1960s? I I would say it this way. Religion is really good at creating sacred spaces where others don't belong, where we may feel like we don't belong. Religion always puts sacred boundaries around God. But let me tell you, when we pray to God as our Father, it's removing the boundaries of the sacred that cast us out. Prayer is actually taking the boundaries down. See, the Lord's Prayer is not about a recitation or reciting something for sacredness. Some of you, and I was this way, have so neglected the Lord's Prayer because the only time you ever experienced it was that one 30-second moment in your church setting growing up, and it just felt like this religious ritual when it's actually phrased. Jesus uses it to say, no, I want you to know your papa because he knows you. He knows your language. Jesus says, pray to God with a common word to address him. He says, there's no sacred boundary in your address to God. Further than that, Jesus is saying, there are no sacred people. Everybody has this open access to God. No longer is it only about the Jews. No longer is it only about the high priests or the religious authorities or or the pastors who've been to seminary who are able to pray. It's for all people to address their father. All people are called to pray. And this is so critical to understand if we begin to grow in prayer, And you know why? Because this invitation Jesus offers to address God as Papa, as Father, it's the invitation to intimacy that we all need. One, one New Testament scholar spent so much time in the Middle East, and he was teaching in, in, in a Russian setting. And he said he began to teach and explain this word. And the Russian women in the class said, no, no, we get Abba. That's still the first word we teach our kids. It's instinctual that we trust that we're intimate. So our relationship to God determines our approach to prayer. Here's the second reason we pray to God as Father. When we pray to God as Father, it's a submission to His Lordship. When we say, our Father, hallowed be your name, we're actually submitting to His reign in our lives. Now understand, we are submitting to God as Father, not our false conceptions of God. Many of us grew up, and when, if I were to ask you even today, hey, how do you picture God? How do you see God? You have a false image of God. You might see God like I did as the cosmic principle. Have we talked about this before? And if you get out of line, he writes your name on the chalkboard, right? How many teachers in the room? Come on, teachers. And, and he writes your name on the board, and if you mess up again, he's going to put a checkmark by And if you get three checkmarks, that lightning bolt is ready to fling at you. We conceive of God as the one that's that way. Maybe you see God as the father time figure. He kind of just got the world started and then sat down and said, oh, I'll deal with anything that comes up. Can I also say this? Your prayer to God as father, your submission to his lordship, that's not rooted in your hurt. That's not rooted in someone else. So so when we pray to God as father, I, I wanna name this. Some of you had earthly fathers or have earthly fathers and all you have known from a father is hurt, woundedness, brokenness, abuse, shame. And I want to say to you, God is the image of a father. Your father is not the image of God. And it's okay to release that. And that may be what you need to hear today. This is not about, uh, also, this is not about toxic uh, versions of what it means to be a man and why men are better. And I think, I feel like we can gloss over that, but, but I don't want to miss that. See, the Bible describes God, understand this, the Bible describes God with both female and male images, He is God the Father, yes, but we are born of God. Does that mess with anyone's theology? We see God as as the Father, but we also, Jesus saying, I have longed Jerusalem to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks. So if we reject, if you've been hurt by the versions of masculinity that you've seen, and you're going to reject the maleness of the image of God, then you also have to reject the femaleness Luke 15 paints a picture for us. Jesus tells stories of the father searching for his lost son. We love that, right? But also early in that chapter he tells the wo- image of a woman searching for her lost coin. See, we are not we are not the representation of God. God is the fullness of all that we've been created to be. And our masculinity and I believe our our culture needs this teaching, maybe now more than ever, this is a tangent, but our masculinity, our femininity brought under the lordship of God as father, find wholeness, not brokenness. And we need to see that. We're failing to teach boys today to be godly men because we have so neutered what it means to be a man of God. I'm not setting up toxic versions. I'm saying we need godly versions that bring us back to that. Tangent over. Okay. Okay. So when we pray to God as Father, we're being invited to intimacy. We're being invited to submit to his lordship. Here's the third thing. When we pray to God as Father, it's actually, and you may not realize this about the Lord's prayer, it's actually a cry for liberation and justice. When we say, God, our Father, hallowed be your name, we're actually crying out saying, God, would you liberate? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring justice to me? Would you bring justice to the world? Now, don't miss this. This is gonna be a theme throughout Jesus's prayer as we go through these next weeks, but there's something larger Jesus is teaching in this prayer than simply helpful versions of spiritual growth. It's more than calling God Daddy. This is a personal prayer. Yes, pray it on your own, in your home, in your prayer closet. But it is also a corporate prayer, a prayer for the people of God. And this is rooted in how we understand God as Father. The first time God is ever mentioned as Father is in Israel's story, clear back in Exodus 4. Exodus 4 verse 22 Moses is told he says when you go to Pharaoh to set my people free say to Pharaoh here's what it says this is the Lord this is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son and I told you let my son go so he may worship me so for Jesus to teach the people of Israel to call God Father was holding on to the hope of liberty he was saying the slaves in Egypt were called sons. When Jesus tells his followers that are living under Roman authority, being taxed up to 90% of their income to call God Father, he's rebirthing in his people a hope of freedom from slavery. When you call me Father, you're claiming the promises of the Old Testament. See, I believe Jesus in this prayer, in the gospels, wants us ready for a new exodus, a new freedom, a new journey out of slavery. Can I just ask you this question? Where do you need freedom right now? Where are you longing for freedom? Maybe it's regarding addiction. Maybe it's this control that your emotions seem to have over you, the fear, the depression, the anxiety, the anger, the shame. Maybe you're longing for freedom in relationships, Longing for freedom in your family, longing for freedom in, in, in multiple areas of your life, and you're crying out going, God, our Father, I'm claiming to be your child, just as Israel was your child, just as the people that you long to set free. You, 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 don't miss this. See, when kids are on a playground, and, and maybe you all did this. I, I remember this from my playground days, right? I just almost went to Fresh prints right there, <laughs> and I lost my point. Kids on a playground, all right. So they're arguing with each other. I'm tougher than you. I'm stronger than you. I can do this, that. And where do they always go? Well, my dad can beat up your dad, right? They're crying out. I can't handle this anymore. My dad needs to come in because my dad will work justice. My kids might be like, no, i bring up my mom, right? Like that. Here's what I want to say to you. Some of us, some of you don't need God to father you for more love. You don't need the daddy role. You need to pray to God as Father because you need to be set free. You need God the Father to step in and work a work of justice in your life because all the things that you think you can control have spiraled out of control. Let me give you one more example of this. Second Samuel chapter 7. God is talking about the kingship, the the, the kingdom of Israel that he's going to hand to King David. And he says this about David, I will be his father and he will be my son. See, God promised King David, he said, you're going to have a child who will rule the kingdom of God and people, and, and it would never be shaken. And God reclaims this promise through the prophet Isaiah. Hundreds of years later, Isaiah 55, he says this, if anyone is thirsty... Let them come and drink, and I will make with them an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Go to the next slide. I I paraphrase those. Go ahead to the next slide, if you would. Give ear, come to me, listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, the promise of God's love as sons and daughters is open to anyone who would come and say, I'm thirsty, I need adopted as your child. Anyone can come to the table. But when we call God Father, we're echoing the promise of David, the promise of David that was a promise of freedom for God's people that would only come through the Messiah. So, in this moment, when Jesus says, I'm going to teach you this prayer, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, This is your prayer. You are, as one theologian says, you are the liberty people, the messianic people. And when we pray to God as Father, we're longing for hope, we're begging for freedom, we're placing trust. In his endless promise and his reign, we're crying out for the political divisiveness to end, for the wars to end, for social injustice to be eradicated, the tears to be wiped clean, and the wounds to heal for us and for all those around us. So we pray to God as Father. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's a submission to his lordship. It's a cry for liberation and justice. Here's the last thing I want to say to you today. When we pray to God as Father, it's a willingness to engage the world in his name. Now, how many of you, the word hallowed, you're kind of like, I don't even get what that means. You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. But it just feels churchy, right? Like hallowed, if we say thy, thine, hallowed, sanctified, like all those Christianese is what I call them. You ever like walked up, i bought with the blood. That freaks me out, right? It sounds like a Spielberg movie. I... What does it mean when we ask God to hallow his name? See, there was a significance to a person's name in the ancient world. So to act in someone's name was to exercise their own power and authority. I'm coming to you in so-and-so's name. I'm bringing their authority, their power. To call on someone was to put, put yourself under their protection and command. So when we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, this request wants God to be known for who he is. We're saying, our Father in heaven, make your name sacred. Make your name known. God, make the place where I'm praying this prayer, let it be about your name. So it's asking Abba and saying, would you make your name sacred in the world around us? Friends, can I just say this to you? If this happened, and it will someday fully, we have this promise in scripture. If God's name were made sacred, all would be well. If we truly treated God's name as sacred, all would be well in our world. See, when we pray this prayer, invoking God's name as our Father and hallowing it, making it sacred through our hearts and our words, we take on that name as our calling. Don't miss this. When we pray to God our Father and say, would you make your name sacred, we take on his name. We become his ambassadors, wearing his name as our badge, being called as his children into a world of pain and darkness. And Paul knew this, right? Let me show you just a couple more scriptures, then I'm done. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Here, here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And we all go, that's awesome. I want to be a new creation. How many of you like new creation? Isn't new creation? Come on, be honest. New creation's fun. Isn't it fun that it's a new year and you get the chance to wake up on January 1st and be like, all that junk that I did last year, I just put it on Facebook that I'm changing everything? Here we go. New creation's great. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Praise God, we love this part of church. Hey, God loves you, just, and it's all true. But then it says this, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. He gave us gifts, isn't that awesome? What did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't sound very fun in our Fox News and CNN world. Do you know you're called to reconcile? Some of you are like, wait, wait, wait unpack that for me. You're called to reconcile. So, so just just walk. How, how many of you know a couple people that aren't getting along right now? How, how many of you know, like, people that have different opinions on stuff? Only one of you. That's awesome. Some of you are just. So, how, you don't have to raise your hand for this part because I think it gets a little personal. How, how many of you actually like to stoke those fires? How, how many of you are kind of like, I can't stop myself from creating more anger and division? I don't really know what to do about that see we're called jesus gave us god gave us this new creation gift and he said but in that because you've been created new everybody needs to know you're created new so now you get to have the gift of reconciliation the ministry of reconciliation people come to me all the time i don't know what god wants me to do how does god want me to plug into his kingdom how can i serve he wants you to reconcile oh shoot (laughs) Then it says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, verse 20, therefore Christ's ambassadors. So when you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, you're saying, God, I'm all in. Send me out in your name. Let me be the ambassador that you want me to be. Friends, this is the pattern of Christian spirituality and prayer. It's not, listen, prayer is not just the selfish pursuit of private spiritual growth. That's not all it is. It's not the flight of the alone to the alone. Let's just get away. There is that. There is a retreat. Jesus retreats in prayer. But it's not just that. It's neither just shouting into a void or simply getting in touch with your deepest feelings. Prayer is not self-reflection. Can I just speak that to you? Don't misunderstand the self-help book you're reading for the practice of prayer. There's more to it. It's the rhythm of standing in the presence of the pain of the world, kneeling in the presence of the creator of the world, of bringing those two things together in the name of Jesus and through the victory of the cross, of living in the tension. And I love what one writer says. He says, you're living in the tension of the double advent. Do you know we're still in advent season Advent's the coming of Christ, right? The baby born, this beautiful thing. But there's a double Advent because the other end of that Advent is when Christ returns and all is made well. And there's a new heaven and a new earth and the tears are dried up. We live in the middle of the double Advent. And we pray, God, would you hallow your name? Father, would you hallow your name? See, I want you to grab this. Our relationship to God determines our approach to prayer. I got time. I'm going to show you one more verse. Sorry. Actually, six more verses, but one passage. Hebrews 4 says this. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest. If you study Hebrews, you're going to see that the writer of Hebrews is, is building this passage talking about a rest promised for the people of God. This was written to a people who had suffered, who'd been held captive, right? For people that were tired, restless, weary, not sure they could face another year. And the writer of Hebrews says, it still remains. You can, you can still enter this rest. And they say, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. See, some people hear the good news of Jesus, but they choose to stay outside of the good news. Happens to all of us. Then it says this, verse 7, God, again, set a certain day. And I love this because I'm like, was it Monday? Was it Friday? Like, was it October 12th? He says, God set a certain day, and he called it, watch this, today. I love it. God called that special day, he called it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, and he quotes the Old Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Oh, so today is the day that I'm supposed to enter the rest of God. Not tomorrow. Some of of us are really good at that. I'll get better at that tomorrow. I will slow down tomorrow. I will rest tomorrow. He says, no, 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 God set a certain day for you to rest. And guess what day it is? Come on, church, say it. It's today, right? And then he says, verse 14, therefore, so so now that you know all that, since you have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. You're not praying to someone who doesn't get you. You're not talking to someone who doesn't understand you. But you have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then, let us then, in our prayer, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, I just want to say this to you. And this is this is from me and my own wrestling through this. I don't want to hear excuses anymore about us not praying together. I just want us to be real. I just want us to say, you know what? God's not looking at this room going, you really going to speak out loud and pray? I'm looking at the empty pew. I'm not looking at anyone. This This whole section is like, ugh. God's not looking down on new community going, you really should pray, but you don't have your act together. God is saying, listen, I'm your father. I've invited you to this place. I've invited you to this moment. I've invited you to this community of people that when you speak to me, when you engage hearts and minds and souls with me, something will break free. There will be liberation that comes to lives that are addicted. There will be freedom for prisoners. There will be overcoming of poverty and brokenness and addiction will start to shatter. There will will be things that will happen when my people who are called by my name turn to me and begin to talk to me together and agree in nature together with what can be and it starts with understanding that I'm your father. I'm not mad at you. I'm not measuring you. I'm not judging you. I'm your papa, and it's time to talk to me. So I'm going to invite the band to come, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to end this service. Some of you here, you just needed that invitation to say, God has a place for you to rest. And if you would say, I'm not a follower of Christ, and today— I want to cross that place. I want to cross that line. I'm going to pray for you in a few minutes. And I'm going to pray that you would, in your heart, in your mind, put your trust, put your faith in Christ, in his death, in his resurrection. But also, as we begin to play a little bit of music, I want us to zero in as the church on this beginning of this Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as a church together, I'm going to invite you for a few minutes to just speak words of adoration to God, our Father. I know, some of you, your heart is just, and today may not be your day, that's fine, but if it is, step out, because how powerful is it for our church to speak to our Lord, our Savior, our Father, our Abba, together? And I'm not gonna bail you out. And We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna close with a song that reminds us of the God that we serve, the God that we're in love with. So let's stand.